little Thanksgiving Day comic strip on uh, Zitz, uh, the comic strip of, of Jeremy, who's a, a teenager. And he's giving the Thanksgiving prayer with his father and mother at the end of the table. And he says, he prays, I'm thankful for my friends, my van, and then the next frame, my apps, my phone, my earbuds, my parents. And the next frame, the other end of the table, his father says to his mother, we're outranked by earbuds. And the mother says, shh. So I'm sure that our children uh, honor their parents more than they honor earbuds that are not outranked by them. And, of course, that's part of a whole purpose of life of our relationships, and we'll be talking about that today. I hope you saw the full moon uh, Friday night, two weeks ago, November 19th. It was called a, a beaver noon and had a partial eclipse starting at 1 o'clock in the morning. I didn't see the eclipse, but I saw the full moon about uh, 6 o'clock in the morning as it was setting in the, in the west. The, the longest eclipse in 580 years uh, lasting three hours and 28 minutes. Uh, last night, uh, looking south, I don't know if I may, many of you saw it, but a beautiful uh, bright planet, Venus, and it's the brightest that it's been uh, December 3rd, last evening, uh, over the horizon. And so it reminds me of Psalm 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. And then Psalm 8, you might turn to Psalm 8 and verse 3, because that uh, you're very familiar with it, but I think we'll realize that when David looked up into the heavens of the night and realized, where is he in this vast universe? When you see the stars and the moon and the sun, Psalm 8 and verse 3, and of course uh, the Apostle Paul quotes that later on in the book of Hebrews. Psalm 8. And verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? He's considering the very purpose of God. I uh, showed for the Living Education Assembly here this last Thursday a video called The Privileged Planet. And in that video, it shows the one a picture that was taken by Voyager 19, I believe it was, um, of the Milky Way galaxy. And this little tiny white light in that galaxy. And that's planet Earth. And you wonder where Carl Sagan said, we're just so in insignificant. You know, we, we think that we are something. And, but take a look at that pale blue, blood, uh, pale blue dot and we are insignificant. No. We are not insignificant. But you think of itself and you see that little dot, so where am I on that little dot? And you realize, am I insignificant? No. We've already pointed out that God sent his son to shed his blood. That's how valuable each and every one of us is. But we realize God has a purpose. And I, I challenge the students to say, why is that privileged planet so privileged? Well, I, I won't answer the question at the moment here, but... Uh, just turn to Revelation 20, uh, 21, and you'll get the answer. Why is that pale blue dot so significant? Well, we asked the question, what is the meaning of life? And um, Mr. Wally Smith gave a uh, telecast 
what is the meaning of life? That was March 8th, 2020. And then just a couple weeks ago, November 21st, Mr. Smith gave the uh, program The Hope You Need. And it's offering uh, Y-U-D, that is the, you know, your ultimate destiny that's now been changed with a new title, What is the Meaning of Life? And I hope you saw that uh, telecast. Calvin and Hobbes philosophize, and they ask, what is the meaning of life? They're discussing this issue, and they're sitting next to a tree. The precocious little boy, Calvin, and the uh, tiger, Hobbes, is sitting by a tree. And Calvin says to Hobbes, why do you suppose we are here? And then then Hobbes answers the question very uh, logically, because we walked here. And Calvin says, no, no, I mean here on earth. And the tiger says, because earth can support life. And Calvin's getting more frustrated. He says, no, I mean, why are we anywhere? Why do we exist? And the tiger says, because we were bo- we were born. <laughs> so Calvin says, forget it. And, and the, the, the tiger, Hobbes, says, I, I will. They could not come up to the answer of why we exist. He didn't get the answer to this question. What is the purpose of life? Why do we exist? So for part of the answer, turn to Mark, the 12th chapter, for the answer. Why do we exist? Mark, the 12th chapter, and uh, Mark, Mark 12, and starting with verse 28. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he hadn't answered them well, asked them, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. So God's commandment of love pervades the whole universe. Our relationship with God the Father and with our Savior Jesus Christ is the most important purpose in life. The title of the sermon today is Develop Godly Relationships. Why? Because that's the way we will enjoy for all eternity. That's the kind of life we'll enjoy for all eternity. The Apostle John emphasized our need to developing, nurturing, and loving relationships. First, first John, the fourth chapter. Turn to First John, the fourth chapter. Yes, as we heard the sermon that God desires to dwell with us. Well, it's his family. And we will have those godly relationships for all eternity. And we're learning now how to love one another, how to love our enemies, and to have loving, godly relationships. First John, the fourth chapter, and verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also, so we're finding here this is the essence of our purpose in life that we have godly relationships. 
So while we love God, we demonstrate that love by loving one another. Our loving relationships are interconnected and our love must radiate in all directions. The way we demonstrate that love toward God is loving our neighbors and loving our enemies, as it tells us in Matthew 5 and verse 44. Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, as it said in John 10 and verse 10. But how do we have that abundant life? Well, it's based upon relationships. And the greatest relationship of all is between God and his family and between Jesus Christ and his spiritual brothers and sisters. So let me repeat that. The greatest relationship of all is between God and his begotten children and between Jesus Christ and his spiritual brothers and sisters. So we asked, what is the purpose of life? Well, the purpose of life is to have godly relationships for all eternity. But there's another way of saying the purpose of life, and I've described that in previous sermons. Uh, Mr. Herbert Armstrong expressed it in four words. From Mystery of the Ages, page 136, Mr. Armstrong writes, How wonderful are God's ways! even though hidden now from the most of humanity, bringing so much suffering on themselves. As the Apostle Paul exclaimed, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Quoting from Romans 11, verse 33. Mr. Armstrong continues, In man, God is reproducing himself. So in answer to the question, what is God's purpose in four words? God is reproducing himself. He is producing a family. We're preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. As I mentioned before, Mr. Armstrong said, well, what is the kingdom of God? First of all, it's the government of God. And secondly, it's the family of God. Well, Mr. Armstrong then reversed himself. Number one, it could be the government of God. The kingdom of God is the family of God. Or number two, it can be the government of God. So what an awesome purpose God has. We saw in the sermonette how God is going to be dwell with us. So God desires to dwell with us. We also relate to human beings, our neighbors, our families, our church brethren. But God expects a certain quality in that relationship. Turn to James, the fourth chapter. Turn to James, the fourth chapter. Ooh, got a little warm. James 4. This is so important, and one, of course, that Mr. Armstrong would say these are the two initiatives. James 4 and verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So that describes somewhat of our relationship with God, a quality that has to do with with nearness, that we are close to God. Draw near to God, and he promises. I, I claim that promise time to time. 
He expects a closeness in that relationship. We've had two sermons, How Close Are You to God? And another sermon, Characteristics of Closeness. So God expects us to be close to him, to draw near to him, and to build loving relationships. And, of course, that means the challenge to each of us. Uh, Do we have that relationship, and how do we have that relationship? Are you praying a good half hour on your knees every day, as Mr. Armstrong mentioned in the Bible Correspondence Course decades ago? If you want to be growing the grace and knowledge of Christ, you should be spending half an hour a day on your knees. Well, of course, that's not something that is just technical that you need to do. You need to be on your praying your heart to the mind that you're putting your whole heart and soul into the prayer. But we we have a habit, and I would hope that there's not one day that you let go by where you, you have not prayed to God, and you not let one day go by where you have not opened the Bible and read at least a few minutes of that, realizing that's the relationship. God is speaking to you. How does he speak to you? Through the Holy Word, the written Word. And, of course, through the publications, the the sermons, uh, the telecast, and many of the different ways. He speaks to us through the creation. And as he, of course, warned in Romans, the first chapter, and and verse 20, that though God made it very clear, and yet they were fools who deny that God exists. Of course, that's uh, Psalm 14. He said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So what is God's purpose? It's for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. That's 2 Peter 3.18. You're all familiar with that. And then in Romans 8.29, he said that we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. That is his nature, his character, his mind. And it takes a lifetime to grow into that kind of maturity, that character in which we overcome and so we see in Second Peter 1 where he tells us that he's given us exceedingly great and precious promises. By these we may be partakers of his divine nature. So God has given us those promises. And what an awesome plan God has for us that we can have that divine nature. How do we have that? Well, it's through the Holy Spirit. I was listening the other day, uh, actually, I guess on uh, the website, on the uh, member's uh, website, or maybe it was on my cell phone, came across a sermon on our website by Mr. Carl McNair. It was called Becoming Selfless. And he mentioned that Mr. Armstrong made the statement that selfishness is the worst sin in the world. (laughs) Well, how could that be? Uh, Mr. McNair explained that because it's denying God himself. When you're selfish, you're, you're putting yourself ahead of God. And the very purpose of God is to develop loving relationships and submitting to God. So in the remainder of the sermon, we'll try to discuss uh, seven ways of developing godly, loving relationships. So number one of seven ways to develop godly relationships. Number one is to share your life. Uh, Turn to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans 12.
Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. <clears throat> and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it means you're sacrificing your time. You're sacrificing your, perhaps, time to do what you want, as uh, the desires you might have. It's good to set goals, of course, in all aspects of our life. But to be a living sacrifice is that sometimes you sacrifice your time. You give up some of your time to serve your brothers and sisters of Christ. So how can you serve one another? How can you share your life? There are many ways of doing that, of course, as one is actually... Um, serving by taking a widow out uh, shopping or uh, sharing. Some of you actually supply rides for our brethren going to and from Sabbath services and other church activities. And, of course, uh, you uh, share your life even on the Internet. And there we have many different cautions, but it's amazing that even internationally when you have uh, family in some other country that you can go on, uh, the Internet and uh, even talk face-to-face on, on the phone uh, techno- technologically with other countries. Uh, you spend time being with your brethren. But there are social dangers. We had a telecast, the dangers of social media. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, in the introduction to that telecast, it says, social media has dramatically changed the way we communicate and relate to one another. We post pictures and other pieces of information that friends and relatives appreciate in real time. But what are the dangers? What do social media executives and tech leaders caution about social media? How can we protect our children and ourselves against dangers of social media? Um, Mr. West does not uh, shirk back from giving us those warnings. We can realize that the technology can be good if it's used for a good purpose. The October Tomorrow's World, no, October Tomorrow's World uh, magazine, October, November uh, 2021, has an article on online sexual harassment. So there are dangers in the Internet area, in the social media. We also had an article in the Living Church News, July, August 2020, uh, by, by Mr. John Robinson, uh, title, A Biblical Guide to Using Social Media. How to properly and safely use the web has been a vital issue since its birth, and wise use of social media is a serious concern. How should Christians approach it? <clears throat> Applying the Bible to modern life is easier than you might think, and the wisdom it contains never changes, no matter how much society does. So in-person conversations that we have can be a great joy. We had the uh, church picnic on October 31st, where we'd be able to have uh, conversations in person and uh, share activities together. <clears throat> but there's some who are kind of shy. I, I grew up in a family where uh, I didn't get to 
converse very much, and I had to learn how to be conversational when I went to Ambassador College. I, I learned how to introduce uh, conversation. Uh, Mr. Wally Smith has taught conversational skills to our uh, LYC camp. Uh, he has a book entitled the, uh, How to Start a Conversation and Make Friends. So if some of you are kind of shy and <clears throat> need to learn conversational skills, uh, you might refer to that book, How to Start a Conversation and Make Friends. So how can you improve a personal relationship? <clears throat> I've shared with some of you before, but it was in 1978. I think we've been married uh, for uh, 14 years, and I was starting my master's degree program with a, a class called Interpersonal Communication. And we were each assigned to improve a personal relationship with someone else. And, of course, I, I chose my wife that I was going to improve my relationship with. And I realized that I was spending so much time in sports there at Big Sandy, an ambassador playing basketball, playing golf, and uh, not giving as much time as I should to my wife. And so I made the living sacrifice of doing something she wanted to do. What did she want to do? She wanted to go ca canoeing on Lake Loma. Well, I didn't want to do that, but I, I got the canoe on one Sunday and uh, took her out canoeing on the lake, and it improved my relationship with her. So sometimes we have to sacrifice and go in above things. But the other way of Im improving interpersonal communication is sharing personal information. Now, of course, that comes along with a lot of cautions. But there's a book titled Interpersonal Communication by Bobby Patton and Kim Giffen. And they talk about the concept of self-disclosure. The degree of involvement between two persons is also a function of the amount of personal information exchanged. For someone to be important to you, you must know something about him, her, that matters to you and that makes a great difference to you. If you don't know much about the per person, it's not likely that you, uh, your acquaintance will amount to much of a relationship. If a rewarding relationship is desired, the other person will have to reveal something of himself, herself to you, and you to himself or herself. That's from uh, Patton and Giffen. <clears throat> Self-disclosure is a basic function of the degree of involvement between two people. There's a considerable body of research showing that when self-disclosure is high, interpersonal involvement is increased. And I know Dr. Meredith used to encourage us, you know, his husbands and wives, to share your dreams, to share your thoughts, to share your problems with your wife or your wife with your husband. And then, of course, I've encouraged, you know, in Proverbs 20, verse 5, I won't turn there, but for young people, to take advantage of the experience and knowledge of their parents and grandparents. It tells us in Proverbs 20, verse 5, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And so ask questions, children, of your parents and your grandparents. and say, what was it like when you were a boy? How, how much did it cost for a loaf of bread, of course, when, uh, you know, my, when I was a child, then my wife was a child, 
you get a loaf of bread for 10 cents. Uh, now it's like $4 or so. Uh, so it's fascinating when you begin to realize, yes, they have experiences. And so I improved my relationship with my wife over the years, practicing self-disclosure, which I I was hesitant to do perhaps before that. And now again turn to Malachi 3 and verse 16. Malachi 3, verse 16. And here we share our lives in conversation with one another. You realize that during the Feast of Tabernacles and other times we have, fun, we have, let's say, liberal time, you know, discretionary time to converse with one another and to get to know one another more. Malachi 3.16 Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Eternal listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Eternal and meditate in his name. Uh, Mr. Nastiago gave a sermon at the uh, feast in uh, Newburn on the book of remembrance. You realize God is writing a book of remembrance and some of the conversations that you've had, you know, realize God knows your every thought. He knows every hair on your head for that matter, of course. And of course, Mr. Wyatt Siselko gave an inspiring sermon on the book of life also at Newburn at the feast. But here God says he writes a book of remembrance to those who spoke to one another. <clears throat> and he says he's going to make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Verse 18, Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. <clears throat> so God expects us to Get to know one another, to love one another, and to serve one another. And, of course, that means how well we communicate, but we need to share our lives. As it tells us in 1 John 1 and verse verse 9, uh, we share our lives with God the Father and our problems and our sins. Confess your sins. And God will forgive your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So 1 John 1 and verse 7. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have fellowship one with another. And he cleanses us from all sin. That's 1 John 1 and verse 7. And verse 9, he tells us to confess our sins to God the Father. So that's how we have a very close, intimate relationship. We have self-disclosure. We tell God our problems, our frustrations, our concerns. But we have to set a guard in our mouth to make sure what we're speaking is the truth. I won't turn there, but I hope some of you pray. I pray every once in a while this prayer. Psalm 141, verse 3. David said, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Uh, sometimes I don't have a guard on my mouth, and that makes it a problem. And Psalm 19:14, <clears throat> Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So God tells us to be careful of what we're saying. And we thank God for the ability to communicate and to realize that, yes, 
words are very important in how we communicate. So share common experiences, be willing to sacrifice, be willing to lay down your life for someone else. The greater love is no man than this. The man lay down his life for his friends, it tells us in John 15, 13. So share your life. <clears throat> Remember David's heartfelt prayer when he was sharing his life with God in Psalm 13, 1. He said, how long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Uh, David was saying, you're taking too long to answer my prayer. He was just open and heartfelt when he prayed with God. So share your life. Number one in developing godly, loving relationships is to share your life. Key number two is to know the other person. Know details about your friend's life. Learn significant information about friends and family. How much do you know about God the Father? How much do you know about our Savior Jesus Christ and his life? <clears throat> Mr. Smith has emphasized this in his program, Can I Really Know God? Uh, there's a telecast, April 17, 2016, by Mr. Smith. Can I really know God? Dr. Meredith gave a sermon, a must-play, March 19, 2016, the real uh, Jesus Christ. So John 17.3, it's a very fundamental verse, very deep and profound. How much do you know about God? John 17.3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So it's so important to know that we know God, that we know Christ, that we know much about them. Dr. Douglas Winnell gave a sermon August 7th, 2021, titled, Are You Ready? And point number six, he said, <clears throat> quote, And I don't want to sound like a Protestant, but do you know the Lord? Do you know God? Do you know how God would do things? How Jesus Christ would do things? Do we have the mind of God, the mind of Jesus Christ? This is what we have to develop, otherwise we're not going to be ready when Christ returns. So I hope you all heard that sermon. If not, you can again access it on our website. Are You Ready? by Dr. Douglas Reneo. And Mr. Bob Rodzai gave an excellent sermon on how well do we know God? How well do we know God? I'll just quote from that sermon, <clears throat> January 9th, 2016. Quote, true knowledge of God leads to respect for him, to a valued relationship, and then to surrender, submission, and obedience from the heart. It's reflected in the way we see ourselves, in the way we respond to the truth in our calling, and in the way we treat other people. Bruce Barton wrote a book, The Man Nobody Knows. He was the founder of a successful advertising company, BBDNO. He had a false concept of the Jesus of Nazareth. And he wrote the book, The Man Nobody Knows. 
He was the founder of BBDNO. We actually visited his office there in, in Atlanta when we were doing the World Tomorrow booklet. He said, the more sermons the man heard, speaking of himself, Bruce Barton writes, and the more books he read, the more mystified he became. One day he decided to wipe his mind clean of books and sermons. He said, I will read what the men who knew Jesus personally said about him. I will read about him as though he were a new historical character about whom I've never heard anything at all. The man was amazed. A physical weakling? Where did they get that idea? Jesus pushed a plane and swung in ads. He was a successful carpenter. He slept outdoors and spent his days walking around his favorite lake. His muscles were so strong that when he went and drove the money changers out, nobody dared to oppose him. A killjoy? He was the most popular dinner guest in Jerusalem. The criticism which proper people made was that he spent too much time with publics and sinners and enjoyed society too much. They called him a wine-bibber and a gluttonous man. When the man finished reading, he exclaimed, This is a book. This is a man nobody knows. So that was from Bruce Barton. And, and I've told you before, the same occurred to me when I was 12 years old. I was attending Sunday school, and I think, well, did, did Jesus really exist? I, as a 12-year-old, I asked that question. I said, well, I'm going to read the Bible and just learn about him. And I started reading the book of Matthews. And when I got to chapter 5, I read verse 39 of Matthew 5. And I said, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, that whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. To me as a 12-year-old who I had actually done some boxing with some of my neighbors, that was revolutionary. Someone slaps you in the cheek, you turn the other cheek to him also? Uh, to my 12-year-old mind, that was revolutionary. And I did make some changes in my life, as in a limited way. But God didn't really call me till about age 25 when I repented of my sins and was baptized. So how much do you know about the life of Jesus? And do you know his names and titles? How many names and titles do you know? I think yes off the top of my head. Uh, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Isaiah 9, he's a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's also the Savior of the world, as it says in John 4, verse 42, and 1 John 4, verse 14. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's uh, Revelation 17, 14, and 19, 16. And the book of Hebrews shows that he is our great high priest. You read uh, Hebrews 4, verse 15. And he's the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But John 1, verse 29, and John 1, verse 36. And remember during the Passover that he is the bread of life. John six thirty-five and John 6:48. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, and you can go on the internet and you do some research on uh, uh, biblical uh, Bible dictionaries and so forth. They find a list of about 300 or 400 titles or names for Christ. Turn to First John 2 and verse 3. 
Know the other person. How much do you know about the other person? First John 2 and verse 3. <laughs> Verse John 2 and verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And so how well do you know God? How do you know Christ? How much, how much do you know about your family and your grandparents and your, your parents and, and other close friends? Remember Dale Carnegie wrote the wrote the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he said this, quote, Remember that a person's name is to him or her the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Remember that a person's name is to him or her the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Of course, when we get into our 80s, we kind of re- forget people's names, and my wife and I have to confer, and I'll say his name starts, or last name starts with S, and she's, oh, that's John. The two of us sometimes can remember people's names. We remember the Apostle Paul in Romans, the 16th chapter. He mentioned 24 names of people in the Roman church area, an additional Eight names of his friends and cohorts. It was 32, 33 names he mentions. And how many people do you mention? I mention probably 50 names or so in my prayer every day, praying for various friends, relatives, and thankfully Mr. Strain gives us the prayer request for our brethren here who need God's intervention for the healing and pray for them as well. So, we need to remember people's names and to pray for one another. And what are the details of your friend's life? You know, Grandma Meredith used to brag about her grandchildren. She said, did you know that Jimmy got all A's this semester? So uh, she was just bragging on her children, but she would want to know more about her family. So key number two to develop godly relationships, no details about your friend's life. Know the other person. Key number three, submit to and serve one another. Submit to and serve one another. We just heard the announcements from the World Ahead commentary by Dr. Douglas Winnell. The he that is greatest among you is your servant from Matthew the 20th chapter. So we have to submit to one another in a godly way. First Peter is about the matter of submission. Uh, some of the editions of the New King James Version give a summary of the books. And in this particular edition, it makes this summary comment about the book of First Peter. Quote, Peter encourages them, that is his readers, to conduct themselves courageously for the person and program of Christ. Both their character and conduct must be above reproach. The fruit of that character will be conduct rooted in submission, citizens to government, servants to masters, wives to husbands, husbands to wives, and Christians to one another. Only after submissions is fully understood does Peter deal with the difficult area of suffering. 
might turn to First Peter, the fifth chapter. First uh, Peter, five and verse five. First Peter five and verse five. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Turn back to chapter 2. Another admonition about submissing. Chapter 2 and verse 18. And here is something I don't think that the most carnal people would accept. First uh, Peter 2 and verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Well, some of us might be uh, have a supervisor who is harsh. God says, oh, well, you still are to submit to him with fear and be submissive. Well, this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. But what credit is it if you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, you take it patiently, for this is commendable for God. And then, of course, I won't turn there, but Ephesians 5, verse 21, just before it says on verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, Verse 21 of Ephesians 5 says what? Submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so when people, I submit to my wife, and uh, I pay pay strong attention to what she wants, so we submit to one another in the fear of God. And we serve one another. Remember that Jesus said that example, and we follow that every Passover Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And then in Luke 7, verse 44, I won't turn there, but Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. It's Luke 7, 44. But turn to uh, Galatians 5. Uh, turn to Galatians, the fifth chapter. <laughs> Galatians 5. Here we know about the fruits of the Spirit, but in verse 13, Galatians 5, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. And again, we, we thank all of our brethren here in the Charlotte that so many of serving so many different ways with the PA system, the ushering, and, um, helping others. Uh, so many different ways all of you are serving, and we really appreciate that. But he says, serving one another in love. And then uh, Galatians, Galatians 5, Yes, Galatians 5.13, serve through love, serve one another. And then Galatians 6.10, I, I won't, I don't, uh, Galatians 6.10, but do go, good unto all people, 
if you have opportunity, especially the household of faith. So uh, we're supposed to always do good to everyone. I mean, you at Harris Teeter grocery store, you see a woman and uh, need some help with all her groceries, you offer help. You know, so many different ways we even uh, offer help to strangers and to do good to all men. The Charlotte Observer gave an example of a good Samaritan. This was Saturday, uh, September 3rd, 2016, called Everyday Angels, coupled with the flat tire overwhelmed by offer of help. And this is written by the man who was uh, had the problem with the car and the flat tire. My wife, Wilhelmina, was driving us to church on a Sunday. This summer, when the car got a flat tire, front tire, we were on Park Road heading toward Uptown. We stopped, pulled to the curb, put the flashers on, and exited the car, only to discover that we both left our cell phones at home. Whoa. In this day and age, cell phone is a lifetime. I keep telling my wife, don't forget your cell phone. Where is your cell phone? Continuing with the article. We were standing there on the sidewalk, a little bit lost as to what to do, but a young man approached on the sidewalk and thankfully had a cell phone. We called AAA, American Automobile Association, and waited. And we were happily shocked by what occurred as we waited. Possibly ten or more people walking and driving stopped to ask us if we needed help. They offered us water, invited us to the church just down the street. A person across the street was cutting his grass and twice offered to come to our assistance. An elderly couple approached us, stopped to offer assistance, and the woman put her arm around my wife in a comforting gesture. I was so moved by the kindness and humanity shown toward us. We, we are black and all the folks who stopped were white. We would love to say a public thank you to everyone who helped. So yes, we need to help one another, submit to one another, and serve number one. Key number three to develop godly relationships is to submit to one another and to serve number with one another. Key number four is to develop communication skills. <clears throat> How do we communicate with God? I already mentioned about listening to the to sermons and, of course, reading the Bible. God speaks to you. But he tells us in John 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And, of course, we have in Revelation 2 and chapter 3, seven times, He tells us, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Might turn to Luke, the 18th chapter. I'm sorry, Luke, the 8th chapter. (coughs) Luke 8. One of those communication skills is to be able to listen. Luke 8 and... Verse 17, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, 
For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has seems to have, will be taken from him. <laughs> so in conversation with others, we'll focus on the person speaking. Try to remember key points and give him or her your full attention. Uh, yesterday, Charlotte Observer uh, had an article, Improving Listening Skills Can Save Time and Reduce Stress. Well, listening is not only a skill, the article says, but it's a game changer to improve married life, the workplace, and dealing with customers and business. It's an article by uh, Judy Light Hopson, the Tribune News Service. Quoting from the article, listening intently saves a lot of time. It keeps you from repeating conversations and tracking down information you've already heard. Being a good listener takes years, insists a college professor we'll call Alex. My first grade teacher taught us that you can pay a huge price if you fail to listen. We've had several sermons on listening. We have a Brandon Falls a split sermon, Ears to Hear. Of course, that's take off uh, the seven times in Revelation 2 and 3. Then Dr. Scott Winnale, a sermon, Developing and maintaining ears to hear. So we need to have, follow the Bible instructions. Uh, my wife and I are hard of hearing, and so I have to really focus and try to uh, get the information. And then, of course, there's the prayer in Psalm 141, verse 3. I don't know if you pray that, but I pray it often, and I, I think I already repeated it. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. It's like you have someone, like a guard with a sword at your mouth. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. <clears throat> then Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I won't return there, but Ephesians 4:15. But speaking the truth in love. Sometimes people speak the truth in hate. God tells us, speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. Who is the head? Christ. We had a sermon, words of truth. And words are the way we communicate and the way we'll be communicating for all eternity. God is going to give us a pure language later on. My wife was reading this book, The Story of My Life by Helen Keller. Uh, she was blind and deaf. How many of you have seen the, the classic movie, The Miracle Worker, which is about this little girl frustrated and agitated because she cannot communicate? Uh, it was called the, uh, the Miracle Worker. How many of you have seen that movie? I think quite a few have. Just an amazing story. This little girl could not see or hear. She couldn't communicate. It was agitated. We finally got a teacher, Ann Sullivan Macy, who taught her. And my, my first assignment in my master's program was Why Teach? And I got this book by, uh, written actually by Helen Keller, the teacher, Ann, Macy, Ann Sullivan Macy. And that one moment of time when she connected the spelling of water in her hands and on that pump, and the light goes on into the person's head. It was transforming. It was like 
Now she can understand something that would never understand before. She could communicate a little. And over a lifetime, this teacher taught her Braille. And she went on to go college. And she wrote this book, The Story of My Life. I'll just read a section from it. This is a lecture she gave, speaking. Remember, she can't hear. She can't see. And yet she had learned to speak. And she gives this speech at the American Association to promote the teaching of speech to the deaf, Mount Airy, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, July 8th, 1896. If I knew all the joy I feel at being able to speak to you today, I think you would have some idea of the value of speech to the deaf, and you would understand why I want every little deaf child in all this great world to have the opportunity to learn to speak. I know that much has been said and written on the subject and that there is a wide difference of opinion among teachers of the deaf in regard to oral instruction. It seems very strange to me that there should be this difference of opinion. I can't understand how anyone interested in our education can fail to appreciate the satisfaction we feel in being able to express our thoughts in living words. Why I use speech constantly, constantly, and I cannot begin to tell you how much pleasure it gives me to do so. Of course, I know that it is not always easy for strangers to understand me, but it will be by and by, and in the meantime, I have the unspeakable happiness of knowing that my family and friends enjoice in my ability to speak. My little sister and baby brother love to have me tell them stories in the long summer evenings when I am at home. And my mother and teacher often asked me to read to them from my favorite books. I also discuss the political situation with my dear father. And we decide the most perplexing questions quite as satisfactorily to ourselves as if I could see and hear. So you see what a blessing speech is to me. It brings me closer and tenderer relationship with those I love. It makes it possible for me to enjoy the sweet companionship of a great many persons from whom I should be entirely cut off if I could not talk. How can you, as a deaf person and a blind person, how can you speak? Because I, when I speak, I can hear myself speaking, but a deaf person can't hear himself or uh, hear her speak. She concludes this one section, saying... <coughs> So I want to say to those of you who are trying to learn to speak and those who are, are teaching them, be of good cheer. Do not think of today's failures, but of the success that may come tomorrow. You have set yourselves a difficult task, but you will succeed if you persevere and you will find a joy in overcoming obstacles, a delight in climbing rugged paths, which you would perhaps never know if you did not sometimes slip backward if the road was always smooth and pleasant. Remember, no effort that we make to attain something beautiful is ever lost. Sometime, somewhere, somehow, we shall find that which we seek. We shall speak, yes, and sing, too, as God intended we should speak and sing. Just very touching. Think about what, what she was able to accomplish my my mother-in-law, Grandma Meredith, uh, 
was uh, was deaf. She could see for a while, and when we go to Sabbath services, we read my my wife's notes. But later, she became totally blind, and that led to dementia. And she was in the Hawkins Care Center there near Big Sandy, Texas, and I visited her one time. I think it was about 1988. She she died uh, at age 94. But before that, I visited her. And, of course, she was blind and deaf at that point. And so when I visited her, I took her hand and spelled in her hand, D-I-C-K. She said, oh, Dick, I'm glad you come to visit me. Then she went off somewhere and some you know, talking about something that was uh, totally unrelated. Then it came back to her again, and I spelled a, my name again in her hand, and then I started spelling I-L-O-V-E. And before I could finish spelling that in her hand, she said, I love you too. I mean, it's one of, one of those touching moments, you know, in a person's life when you can communicate uh, with someone else. And yes, we share our lives with one another. We submit to one another and we communicate with one another. The gift of language and speech we need to use to God's honor. We'll be communicating with one another during the millennium and on beyond. But there's one factor we need to be careful of. And that's in communication with one another. I won't go into it at length, but transactional analysis was an analysis of our patterns of communication. It was unfortunately designated as parent, adult, child. In other words, an example is I'm asking you, what, what time is it? A factual question. The answer is, what are you asking me for? It's an emotional response, not an adult a factual response. But I found over the years something that's been so very helpful that cuts away the emotional part. There is the, the student-teacher, the, the boss-employee relationship, so it's instructional as a parent-child. But the adult, so-called, so is informational uh, conversation, and the child is teachable. I want to learn something. I'm going to submissive. But I just want to encourage all of you that one of the best ways to shortcut any emotional problems is to be factual. Uh, remember the old uh, detective story, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. But you, when someone asks you a question, think of the information. Is it factual? What, what time is it? What are you asking me for? <laughs> no, uh, that's a, a wrong response. That's an emotional response. You try to get the facts and try to get the exact information. But I just want to pass that on to you because it seems to me have been a real help in my communications with other people uh, to make sure that you're keeping it at the informational level and not the emotional level. There are times for emotional uh, times, and we know that. It's Ecclesiastes 3 tells us a time to laugh and a time to cry. But Ephesians 4.15, remember, we said, speaking the truth in love. And we always need to remember that. So key number four to develop godly relationships is to develop communication skills. Key number five is to choose your friends very carefully. Proverbs 12 and 26. Proverbs 12, verse 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, 
for the way of the wicked leads them astray. You know, it takes time for someone to stand up for what's right. And you don't let friends compromise you. That's what's wrong with so much of our society that young people want to join the crowd. They compromise values so they can be accepted. But well, we've had uh, some of our young people have stood up in classes. I remember one one of our teenagers standing up in, in class and uh, against the, the crowd standing up for what was the truth. Well, the rest of the class didn't agree, but she stood up and uh, gave the truth. <clears throat> and it tells us that we need to choose our friends carefully. But God chooses us as his friends. Remember that Abraham was called the friend of God in James 2 and verse 23. In John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this. The man laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you, Jesus said. But we want to be his friends, and I hope we read the article in Tomorrow's World magazine on our greatest friend. So no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Or as the NIV has Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So the Proverbs gives us warning about wrong relationships. Uh, Proverbs 14, 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you perceive not in him the lips of knowledge. And then Proverbs 1 gives very warning to stay away from those who are tempting you to join their evil ways. Uh, Proverbs 1.10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So we want to make sure that we choose our friends carefully, but we also esteem others better than ourselves. We know that from uh, Philippians 2 and verse 3, let each esteem others better than themselves. You know, Dr. Meredith knew quite a bit about those in the headquarters office. He knew their educational background of our leadership. Uh, and he even, he even knew he had a penchant for knowing uh, birth dates of uh, many of our, our ministers and, and brethren. So we want to try to learn as much as we can about other people. Because uh, self-disclosure, we have to be careful, of course, that we... Uh, uh, are not uh, not uh, sharing too personal information, but we need to be servants of all to have that servant attitude. And remember, as I've often quoted Dr. Meredith's co-worker letter of October 10, 2005, perhaps none of these people were truly acquainted with God of the Bible, talking about those in Bangladesh who were involved in the hurricanes and the, and the disasters. But every human being is precious in God's sight. So we need to be careful about what we say and how we say it. But to, to develop God relationships, we need to respect one another, value one another 
more than ourselves and have a godly love and a godly fear. So key number five to develop loving relationships, choose your friends carefully. Key number six is pray for one another. Uh, We already had sermons on that, so I won't spend time on that. Uh, Rod McNair gave the sermon, pray always for one another. He originally titled it, Pray for One Another, but I had already given a sermon by that title, Pray for One Another, so we changed the title, Pray Always for One Another. And we appreciate uh, the the prayers of the brethren for those of us in the Charlotte congregation and their families and others beyond uh, for their sicknesses and asking God's intervention. And, of course, the church bulletin lists the ministers and deacons and deaconesses uh, for which you can be praying. And, of course, we have that example of of, uh, Peter in prison and the the church prayed for him with constant prayer. And I exit the 12th chapter and he was delivered. So I won't spend much time on that, uh, but I hope you're doing that every day, praying for one another. Key number six, to develop loving relationships, pray for one another. Key number seven, (coughs) fulfill the mission of the church. You know John 4, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. We work together as God's family to complete the work he's given us to accomplish. Hope you read, as I've admonished you several times, that you read the editorial in the Tomorrow's World magazine, the Dear Brethren letter by Mr. Weston and the Living Church News, and to keep up with it. May, June 2016, Tomorrow's World magazine. Dr. Meredith wrote, Are we ready for God's intervention? During the work, we in this work have the wonderful opportunity right now to reach out to this world in growing power and proclaim the reality of the true God, the reality of Christ's second coming, and the real meaning of life, which is so very few on earth truly understand. We in this work are driving ourselves proclaiming God's truth to this deceived and confused world. This work of the living Jesus Christ is constantly growing in power and impact. I hope all of you regular readers are praying for the continued growth of the work. So we realize, as Mr. Wesson has written in the April-May Tomorrow's World magazine, his editorial, April-May 2021, uh, have you missed the message, he asks our readers. And that went out to about 500,000 people. He concludes, Tomorrow's World is like no other magazine today because we tell the plain truth of Christ's message, what he did for us, how his plan for mankind is going to play out. We tell the bad news as well as the good news. We proclaim the return of Jesus Christ to rule over all the earth from a throne in Jerusalem. Zechariah 14, verse 4, verse 9. And we explain life's purpose, that people may be born into the very family of God and a resurrection to eternal life. Tomorrow's World magazine gives hope to a troubled world that is rapidly losing hope. The real question now is, how will you respond? So key number seven to develop godly relationships is to fulfill the mission of the church. In today's sermon, we've seen God's purpose for all of mankind. God is reproducing himself, 
And God wants us to love one another and develop godly relationships because we'll have those relationships with billions of people when you realize you will be training and teaching throughout the millennium uh, thousands and maybe a billion people and then the white throne judgment. And you realize how many billions of people will be in God's family after the white throne judgment. We will be with them for all eternity. And you will probably know the names of all those billions of people because you will have a greater capacity at that point in time. God has given us the two great commandments on how to love one another and how to relate to one another. Every year uh, we used to have at the Memorial Day weekend a singles weekend called BRIC, Building Relationships in Christ. I hope we can uh, resurrect those uh, sometime in the future to have those singles weekends again. But we need to develop relationships with Christ. In developing godly relationships, we need to love our Father in heaven and our Savior Jesus Christ more than anyone or anything in the world. We'll take one more scripture. we we'll take a look here. If you'll turn to uh, Revelation, the fifth chapter, Revelation 5, and realize, as uh, Mr. Weston was saying in his uh, last great day sermon, I was listening to uh, just yesterday in the car of a uh, CD, and his last great day sermon at the feast this year was God's impartial love for mankind. And he told that God is not partial to anyone. And that everyone will have an opportunity, a fair opportunity for salvation. And we'll look forward to the time when we can fellowship with billions born in the family of God. And so in Revelation 5 and verse 9, he shows that those who are going to be in his family are from every ethnic group. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation that have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So God is calling people from every country, every ethnic group, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people, and every nation. So that's the plan that God is giving. We need to grow in loving relationships in preparation for the kingdom. Today we briefly discuss seven keys to godly relationships. Number one, share your life. Number two, know the other person. Number three, submit to and serve one another. Number four, develop communication skills. Number five, choose your friends very carefully. Number six, pray for one another. And number seven, fulfill the mission of the church. So God is love, and we need to grow in that spiritual love in the relationship with our Father in heaven, with our Savior Jesus Christ. So let's continually draw near to God, and he promises he will draw near to us. And then we can rejoice in the greatest relationship of all. So, brethren, the weeks ahead, when you're traveling, you meet brethren from other congregations. Let's develop godly loving relationships. Let's rejoice in the promise of God's coming, soon coming kingdom. And let's rejoice in his eternal love. Let's grow in godly relationships now and forever.